I'm ready for snow season. Not like literal snow because we don't get that, no. but but for it to actually be cold out. Yeah, I'm ready for it to be cold. It was like 85 on. Monday. I know it was, it was so okay. hot. I turned my air conditioning <laughs> was... back on this week. I know it was not okay. I just wanna just wanna make soups and stew. <laughs> yes, we made soup today, but it also made the house very warm. So I don't know trade-offs. Ideally, you want that to happen when it's cold. Yeah, and then so it's nice. Like, oh, free. Yeah. Make yeah. some bread. Yep. Now I'm just microwaving my food. It doesn't warm the house at all. <laughs> well, and also, you're just eating microwave food. Well, I can't cook a podcast day. It's much harder. Yeah, I guess that's true. Hey, everyone. Welcome to... Episode 268 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing just excellent, I think. Swimmingly? Yeah, swimmingly. Great. We're not really in swimming weather anymore. No. I'm doing swimmingly. I mean, kind of. It was like 85 this week. (laughs) Yeah, but... I'm, I'm waiting for the 50s. Wait, I'm ready for snow weather. Same, same. I don't know. I don't have anything in particular to talk about before we go into deck lists. We got some spicy pioneer stuff going on. I mean, we've had a pretty tame few past couple of weeks where Watsi hasn't announced a new product or some crazy drama has happened. So there's really nothing to subtweet, kind of. Right. We already went ahead and didn't talk about the World Championship on the last episode, so... You know, we, it's too late now to talk about that. We don't really have any news, I guess. The world championship happened. It was not advertised well. <laughs> and Nathan won and is just Nathan's like great. The, the least stoppable of all Magic players. I did call that, though. And yeah. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or in a conversation we had. But I, I called it that Nathan was just couldn't lose. And then no, he won he, Worlds that weekend. He has just had an unreal year and change. There was a great stream. Earlier today, uh, Canister had Nathan on as a guest, and they spent a bunch of time just kind of talking about like testing philosophy and you know general like tournament preparation like concepts and ideas, and then just a lot of kind of just magic philosophy stuff. And then they played a league with Phoenix and talked through lines for way too long and timed out their first match and stuff. So it's it's excellent. It's a great watch. So I. <laughs> ideal magic content (laughs) i mean (laughs) i it felt pretty validating because like i i was watching it and then i just like you know i I play with my gut a lot especially with a deck that i've gotten a lot of reps in and i don't do as much like explicitly trying to figure out what what's in my opponent's hand by their plays and it's a lot more like this seems good given my opponent's actions and i if asked to explain i might be able to like sit down and take everything apart but may might not quite get there but i did just like kind of test my gut instinct a lot of time and you know then they'd spend three minutes talking about it and coming up what was in their opponent's hand and then yes cast the pieces of the puzzle with spell pierce up and it's like yeah all right good we're, we're getting to a decent place with this deck i feel like no, I, I enjoy kind of streams or videos like that. I remember in the early days of Channel Fireball, uh, they did a lot of limited 
YouTube videos. This was before like streaming was a real thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed Tom Martell's videos at the time for mm. Limited because he plays glacially slow, <laughs> at least online. Uh, and he timed out like regularly, but he explained literally every single thing. And Tom Martell, despite playing very slowly, speaks extremely fast. <laughs> so a lot so, of very information dense video. It was incredibly information dense. And I just I, I really enjoyed those videos coming kind of coming up more competitively yeah i would recommend this canister vod from the morning of november 8th if i I mean i just would recommend it to anybody who is trying to be better at competitive magic be better at preparing for tournaments and then uh better at playing with phoenix specifically but it's there's a lot of stuff that it it was just a, a truly great stream so high recommend from me but shall we talk about some pioneer deck lists yeah, we have a couple challenges. Yeah. Saturday challenge. One by Azorius Control. This is just a thing that happens every once in a while. We did have Azorius Control win a challenge last weekend as well, but it really just doesn't pop up with the level of consistency. And I mean, my playing with and against it has just been, you know, you have good draws. Wandering Emperor and Teferi are fantastic, but there are holes in your game plan and you're medium against green it depending on how they build and you're like not particularly ahead versus the various mid-range decks it is a struggle to play against a good blue white player with phoenix though i will say that that is not a fun time can i ask what you mean by depending on how the mono green player builds because like the joke is that mono green doesn't build any different ways you know you have like three flex slots right and the gap between I have Lovestruck Beasts and a Sky Sovereign in my flex slots, and I have an extra land and a, a Planeswalker and something else relevant for the blue-white matchup, because the green deck doesn't sideboard, having those slots set for the full three-game match actually like makes a, a reasonable percentage difference over the course of the game, especially because green sees a pretty significant number of cards between Oath of Nyssa and the games just being long. So having a couple extra planeswalkers over the course of the match with no sideboarding like actually does make a difference. And and for what it's worth, I mean, I agree with you, but I do like blue-white control a lot more now that it has temporary lockdown. I still think that card is incredible. It is very good. One thing that is going to come up when we're talking about these previews here, I think the green decks, a lot of them are playing like the third Bozeju because of temporary lockdown specifically and also because of uh, Leyline Binding, which often is in Fires of Invention decks. So you just like get a lot of good targets for it. And they're also, there's just a naturalize that you can Karn for now. So the the bug, I love that card. It's it's extremely good. We played with it some, doing some paper testing and holy crap, it's better even than you would think it is as a Karn wish target. It just is incredible. And, you know, we'll talk more about it during previews, but it has on its own just crossed off all the enchantment based decks from my list of like decks that are possible to play at regionals. I would not recommend playing a Leyline Binding deck because of the existence of Haywire Might. Yeah, that makes sense. I've played with its shunned cousin Caustic Caterpillar a few times before. (laughs) Yeah, this, this card's a little better, but well, we'll move in on that during our preview discussion. So yeah, Saturday Challenge, Blue-White 1, a couple of Rakdos decks in the top 8, Phoenix in the top 8, Bant Spirits, 
mono white humans, uh, a mono green, really just like a lot of the consistent presences, one gruel aggro or gruel stompy, whatever you want to call it. Really kind of normal stuff, except for that blue white control winning the thing. And uh, not a ton of specific stuff to take away with this, except the meta moving. Rakdos in general has been less of a just constant overwhelming presence in the metagame. And I think that is a key thing to take into account with uh, what you want to be doing with your decks. You know, Phoenix is popping up a little bit more. And also this Joda Humans deck in ninth place is is really fun. So that exists. Uh, That's Kel a Kellen Pastor list. That yeah. is a Kellen Pastor special. This is a Mox Amber many multicolored legends topping off at joda the unifier who gives all of your who happens to be a human is five colors gives all of your multi multicolored creature spells uh effectively cascade and i watched so it's not multicolored creature spells oh it's, it's legendary creature oh spells. yeah that's right it's your legendary creature spells cascade uh i watched canister play a little bit of this and it looked very very sweet it looked just about as clunky as you would expect anytime it did not draw like Catilda Dawnheart Prime to help unlock its <laughs> mana. After watching it, it seemed clear that like this deck should probably be running like four Catildas in it because that card was really, really good. I don't know. This deck is very sweet. If anybody is brave enough to play it at the regional championship, like I salute them. I I, I like this deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like a humans deck you would expect to see in the past where you had you know collected company into humans stuff but you've got like that extra kind of legendary sub theme joda mm -hmm. does have another ability other than like the cascadey thing it gives all your legendary creatures plus x plus x where x is the number of legendary creatures you control right so it's as like long a, as joda is on arms. the battlefield yeah and you play a card mm -hmm. all your creatures are just huge yeah and that's why you see like Ovio Pashiri in this deck, which is a green legend from Kaladesh that basically has a one-two. It just doesn't really come up that often that it has abilities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you can cascade into it. It makes man off Mox Amber. And going Ovia or Kithi Kaithion into Mox Amber does do a pretty good job of helping you with your mana as well, or at yeah. least putting you on the board. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is really, really cool deck building. The deck is sweet, and kellen barely missed the top eight with it so there's for sure something here there's like a lot of power to it joda was really strong every time it hit the battlefield i suspect this deck has consistency problems oh yeah pro i mean it's a five color deck with right. box ambers and thalia guardian of ravens yes <laughs> and yeah. not a combo you often see no uh, and there's also you gotta get the mox amber down and then play the thalia that's right. very important but sometimes you just like want the extra mana when you have the in play too mm -hmm. but it's it's mostly that you this is an experimental deck like kel kellen likes to do this where he builds mm -hmm. these decks and that's why you, even in this deck you see like there's what seven one ofs in the main deck because he's just trying stuff out <laughs> yep yeah i mean if you were to put the time into this deck i think you could improve it buy a pretty measurable amount and maybe make something that is really worth playing in time for regionals and if you do uh you'll you know you'll be my hero i will appreciate that and i honestly think the mana is pretty good like four plaza heroes four secluded courtyard and four unclaimed territories it's really just like 
making it so that the order in which you draw your creatures because you can cast pretty much any hand you you draw yeah it's just that the the variance of what creatures you draw and what they do is the that's the main coin toss there yeah and i feel like in order to really make collected company a little more reliable in this deck you probably like playing more katildas would be helpful so sure because it's just not that easy to cast collected company off of your lands here no <laughs> it definitely is not <laughs> move on to the sunday challenge where uh a 75 card is it phoenix mirror was the finals between canister and doom switch this particular 75 card list is kind of sweet it almost seems like pre-built for an open deckless tournament which regionals is uh because the sideboard like juke threat slots are all one ofs which I think is actually really smart if your opponent can see your deck list. Here, for example, the the threats are one Brazen Borrower, one Vance's Blasting Cannons, one Young Pyromancer, one Sahili, one Crackling Drake. And it just means that your opponent, you know, in a closed deck list format, they don't know what juke threats you're on. In an open deck list format, they can see it, but then they can't plan for it as well. They can't be like, oh, three young pyromancers. Well, I'll leave a stomp in my deck or whatever. Or uh, uh, you've got two or three crackling drakes. Well, I can't cut these dread boars then. If you, you know, go wide with various different types of threats, then that makes it much harder for your opponent to figure out exactly what your plan is going to be because it's dependent on the cards that you actually draw and they all require like different kinds of responses. So I think it's clever. I think it's cute. I think that probably adjusting it a little bit is right. I have not been impressed with uh, Sahili Sublime Artificer as a juke threat. I think Young Pyromancer is just a lot better. Vance's Blasting Cannons is kind of only good against Rakdos, but it is pretty good there, so I don't know. I have to ask a clarifying question about the the RCs. I know that the North American one is open deck list. Are all of them open deck list? I think it's up to the organizer. I I know Uh, that ours is, so super super weird yeah i guess that's how it is i mean i think it's kind of silly that this one i don't mind uh it doesn't really make a big difference to me it, you know you should keep it in mind and adjust for it when you're at you know when it's appropriate to but like i think it's kind of silly i don't think it's meeting any particular need in this tournament i, I just don't yeah. think scouting is really an issue and if they're going to be doing coverage and putting decklists up on coverage, then I kind of get it. But in a paper tournament, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. When you're covering an online tournament and people are just on their computers and can have coverage on in the other window and, and like scrub through VODs easily and stuff, then yeah, it's probably better to be open decklist in a paper tournament. Uh, I just I don't know that it's that important. Yeah, I don't. I don't really mind that it's open deck list per se. Like I'm not against open deck right. list or closed deck list or whatever. It's just weird to me that this one is open deck list, but not all of them are. Yes. Like that is beyond weird to me. Yeah. And I mean, I have been thinking about it while thinking about my deck choice and my card choices and stuff. And, you know, these one ofs in the sideboard, like that kind of makes a lot of sense to me for this open deck list tournament to do something like that. Uh, I also just like am less excited less interested in finding like just the right surprising new card to put in my sideboard because i'm not i'm never going to cast it my opponent goes like uh 
crap, I wasn't thinking about that one. So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm more interested in going with cards with proven track records that I know are, are pretty good and get the job done a lot of the time. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Just play good cards. Yep. Breaking just, podcast news. Probably the right thing to do regardless. So this is just save, saving me from myself. Yeah, I, I do agree with you about Sahili, though. That card has never really impressed me as a young Pyromancer-type effect. It just costs too much and does too little. Yeah. And is attackable. It, it is attackable. And in, like, I think part of the logic behind it is, like, well, you know, against Rakdos, they can kill the young Pyromancer really easily, which has been part of my experience and part of my reason why I go back and forth on how good I actually think Pyromancer is. But Sahili costing an extra mana and the whole game against Rakdos is trying to contain their early threats and then figure out a way to do a treasure cruise. And so Sahili just like makes you even more vulnerable to that where it's like, yeah, I couldn't stop that Bone Crusher giant. So now it's just going to kill my Sahili. And that's not ideal. It, yeah, it's just too expensive. I, I don't love it. Anything else you want to talk about other than the Phoenix decks? Anything sweet and spicy? There's definitely some sweet and spicy stuff. Loriwa, who we've called out, I, I think, on every episode for the past couple of weeks for playing Mono Black Zombies, uh, finally cracked the top eight of this one. So congratulations to Loriwa for that one. Yeah, I believe it, the deck list is the same, too. Just classic. If it ain't broke... Don't fix it. Yeah. Zombie-based mono black topping out at two Kalidas and three Shieldred as your end game. But, you know, a deadly dispute zombie-based deck. Uh, I don't know if he had f if they had four Liliana of the Veil last time we checked, but they are at four Liliana of the Veil this time, which seems fine. Yeah, zombies. Crypt Breaker. It's, still yeah, the reason to play this deck again is still like Dark Salvation. That's what your payoff is. Mm -hmm. which is a, a really good removal spell if you've got zombies on the board. And if you can ever pay mana into it to get zombies, it's even better. Yep. I, I wish they made more cards like this, to be honest. I think it's such a cool card. And yeah, tribal payoffs that aren't just a creature of that type with some abilities. Yeah. Something gets plus one, plus one of that creature type. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like Joda, too, the Unifier, for like kind of the same reasons. It's a legendary payoff. Sure. And it is an Anthem because it's all five colors of mana, so sure. But it does the sweet thing of all right, whenever you cast a legendary spell, you get another one on the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing we've seen that's popping up in the Gruul Stompy deck in this challenge uh, a little bit, I don't think this is good, but some people playing Combat Celebrant. Oh, yeah, I saw this. <laughs> for its combo with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, you, you copy it, and then you just you get unlimited combat steps, or if as you don't many remember, combat steps as you have mana. But Yeah, if you don't remember what Combat Celebrant is, it's a three-mana four-one that when it attacks... Uh, if it hasn't been exerted this turn, you can exert it, and then you get an extra combat step. Yeah. So, so obviously, obviously, you can't, you know, attack with the same one over and over again to, for extra combat steps. So you have to make a copy of one each time. Yeah, and if you use your fable to copy it each time, you just at minimum get to keep attacking with that four one. If you have a Lanoir Elves, you actually do get infinite combat steps. So Ooh. that's kind of cool. But this all requires untapping with a combat celebrant and a, a flipped fable that you know no longer has summoning sickness so this is all kind of a magical christmas land sort of thing that i think removes uh, you're playing a three drop that dies to spike field hazard in your cruel deck like that's not where you want to be yeah the it's a bad creature it really only works if you have 
reflection of Kiki Jiki in play. And then you play combat celebrant and go off, but then there's not like yeah. I guess you don't damage. have to untap with the combat celebrant. You have to have the reflection. So yeah, but, you if, know, you, if you have elf reflection and celebrant in hand, and that's a three card to win combo, that's like sure, fine, okay, cool. But your, your reflection Kiki Jiki is really good, right? You <laughs> like can you find something play. good to do with it. Like just copying your bone crusher giants and coming in for four, like that's pretty good and often kills your opponent. So I don't think you need the combo, but it is sweet. It is sweet. I don't, I haven't formed a good opinion of it yet. Just cause when you draw combat all right and you don't literally have a reflection of geek, you can play. It just doesn't do very much. So bad. Yeah. If I'm sitting there with like fiery impulse up, just like waiting for what my opponent plays and then they play, combat celebrant and i just always get to kill their three drop with whatever removal spell that seems very bad for them yep I, it, it's not very good <laughs> <laughs> a couple more mono green decks of course as always i don't know i mostly want to talk about new cards and stuff okay i'm still looking kind of at this uh one of the burgy decks made the top 16 again of the sunday challenge it's always a sunday challenge mm -hmm. oh of course <laughs> and it, it hasn't really changed it's still playing a bunch of bad cards i, I can't get behind yeah but you know still the only ones that actually do well are the risen reef versions with a couple of defiler of instincts like that's the only way to make this deck tenable is by doing that yeah so man i hope there's some cool cards for this kind of deck going forward i, I would like to see more variety and some pioneer deck lists i mean there's there's space to be explored and i think that i don't know i don't know if the new set is going to like create any new archetypes or anything part of what i am afraid of is that its main contributor to pioneer is just <laughs> karn artifacts karn wishboard <laughs> because there's several that just are supposed to be in your karn sideboard for this regionals tournament and if i unironically yeah go ahead sorry sorry no no don't go for it i just do not mind if all these artifacts that's coming out is the reason why card gets banned in pioneer yeah <laughs> because the card is pretty miserable <laughs> it it has gotten to the point where it it's just excessive and i mean maybe that's the first thing that we go over here because i think it's one of the most relevant things in the set is just the like four or five very very good card wish targets several of which are just going to be in your sideboard regionals weekend if your deck is properly built yeah i mean sure do you want to do like artifacts first that way we can always we can kind of stop referencing that karn can get them yes i i think we can we can start that first the main one that's just like oh yes obviously this is a 100 auto include nobody is going to miss this one is haywire might this is one for a 1-1 artifact creature insect. When it dies, you gain two life. Green, sacrifice it. Exile target non-creature artifact or non-creature enchantment. You've wanted to be able to Karn for naturalize for the entire time we've been putting Karn into decks, and now you can. Yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing deck lists of modern Greentron with a Silvok replica in them. This was Ugh. in modern. Ugh. And Silvok replica is like an old card. It's like three mana. Then you can pay a green and sacrifice it to to, to naturalize. Uh, this puts that card to shame <laughs> by yeah. a lot. Yeah, this card's unbelievable. I mean, in not even just for Karn, like you also can Urza Saga for this to get a naturalize, which we've wanted to do the entire time that we've been playing Urza Saga as well. It gains you two life for some reason, 
and it just... that is the weirdest part to me it would be so good if it were one mana one one kill a non-creature artifact or enchantment mm-hmm. but then it gains two life on top of that yeah. and it's just like yeah this is this is for free you, you get this we're just spotting you this two life on this already like extraordinarily playable card which does help offset the cost especially in modern i know we're mostly talking about pioneer but in modern the cost of fetch lands gets eliminated further when you get to tutor cards like this up mm, uh, yeah. it's it's really nice because some of those matches can get pretty dicey trying to eke outside of burn range from like a merc diet or a breach deck or something like that yeah but two and extra cards life cards like this yeah yep especially breach i guess because merc tide you wouldn't really tutor this up sure. <laughs> against but yeah like getting this well i guess you can't kill a, an idol on the great revel with this so like getting this against burn is not necessarily actually the thing but you can't kill roiling vortex though you can kill roiling depending vortex on what kind of deck you're playing if you're playing a deck that they bring roiling vortex in against but as far as karn boards go like this is extraordinary in karn we tried it we played it a little bit and all right it was just very obvious like this gives you the ability to win games that would have been much harder to win otherwise particularly against any deck that includes leyline binding or temporary lockdown or both uh a lot of those matchups i have felt like uh the enchantment deck can win but if the green deck draws a single bozeju then it unlocks its best permanent whatever the most important thing is and just crushes from there and i think this makes that much worse because now if you draw a single buzeju or if you are able to go grab a haywire might and then unlock your best permanent either way then those are games that green just wins the vast majority of the time and that's enough that i just stopped considering any fires deck any enigmatic incarnation deck any leyline binding deck in general for this tournament i just don't want to be playing matches against mono green where they can do this to me no oh, yeah i've i've heard a lot from people who <laughs> desperately do not want to play mono green because they they find it boring mm-hmm. uh and like the enchanties decks are the go-to for fun yes. and somewhat competitive and everyone who's been playing them is just like yeah it's real rough that you can't beat mono green anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough out there for the enchanties decks the next one that I want to point out is Cityscape Leveler. All these green decks have a Meteor Golem in their sideboard. Seven mana, so, three, three. Let me, let, me, yeah, let me read this one. I just want to describe Meteor Golem. A, okay, sure. Had, went in 100% of green sideboards. Seven mana, three, three, ETB, destroy target non-creature artifact. It's good enough. But yes, now read Cityscape Leveler. So Cityscape Leveler is an eight mana... Artifact creature construct. It's an 8-8 with trample. <laughs> when you cast this spell and whenever it attacks, you can destroy up to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a tapped power stone token. And, and it has unearth for eight, which conveniently <laughs> exiles the card after it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Karn for it. But so fortunately for opponents of mono green decks, there's mono green doesn't really have an easy way of like discarding the cityscape leveler to like just chain unearthing and attacking. I do think basically any unearth attack with cityscape level out of mono green is just immediately lethal. But you don't like we were playing some games and 
there were complicated board states and a lot of them were just like oh if i just karn minus to get the cityscape leveler and then pass and then cast it on my next turn like that just beats everything that you're doing right now also i kind of wanted to have an artifact in my sideboard that would allow me to discard a card for whatever so that on my second you know the turn after the karn i could discard the cityscape leveler unearth it and just you know deal lethal damage but that's probably overkill uh, casting this thing is just nuts yeah it's real big i do want to like have a clarification point on how unearth works with this card because it's or it's a pretty old mechanic oh that's true it only kills one permanent yeah so it so if you unearth it that's an unearth's an activated ability you're not actually casting the spell like you would be with like flashback mm-hmm. so you do only get one thing right like when you unearth it that is good if it gave you two vindicates when you unearthed it that would be pretty wild yeah you just you know you get your one when you cast it and then every time it attacks until it dies and then you get your one when it attacks after you unearth it and your opponent can respond to like an unearth trigger by exiling a card in your graveyard if they have something that can do that yeah like it's not a trigger sorry the unearth activation it's an activated ability yeah but this card just I mean, Meteor Golem was in the sideboards anyways, and this card's just better than Meteor Golem in Way about better. a thousand ways. <laughs> so, one mana, you're paying one mana more for about 17 more stats and an extra utility <laughs> option. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It just makes mono green better. Like, but it gives it percentage points in a lot of matchups, just having that in the sideboard as an improvement over Meteor Golem. A mono green is. Mono green is a even, deck, even man. if it's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage, any percentage points they get with these Karn artifacts, they're gonna see them almost every single game. Yep. If they if they need to. Yep. Between Haywire Might, Cityscape Leveler, and the next card, segue. <laughs> well, wait. What is your next card that you're thinking of for this? I don't know. You had the Karn artifacts. Okay. Like, well, yeah. I don't know if you wanted any more. I I didn't know if you were segueing into something specific. Yeah, so I have actually heard that the Might Stone and Weak Stone is a very yeah. good Karn Wish target. This is five mana legendary artifact Power Stone. When it ETBs, choose one, draw two, or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Has tap, add two colorless. This mana can't be spent to cast non-artifact spells. It just lets you wish for a removal spell, which depending on you know you may be facing down flyers like there's a three five ledger shredder on the other side of the battlefield or something like that or hopefully not a three five because this is your second spell it might not kill the ledger shredder but facing down flyers facing down just important creatures that are stopping you from doing what you want to do being able to get a removal spell where there really wasn't an option before this is now an option what's cute is you you may think that this doesn't really ramp you because you know the only artifacts you're playing are off of Karn anyway. But conveniently, two mana is what Nykthos costs. That's very true. <laughs> so you can just dump your uh, Might Stone and Weak Stone mana into Nykthos to generate mana. And it's you're like not losing out. Yeah. Yeah. So this card is pretty solid. I have not actually like played with it in green yet or seen it, but I have been hearing rumblings that like, yeah, this kind of does the thing that you want it to do. And I'm I'm willing to believe that for sure. All these modern green sideboards do have the, it's like always 15 one ofs or maybe a 14 of, and then a one, one is two of, mm-hmm. but you can pretty clearly see that you can tailor whichever ones you don't like the most and fill up the slots and having a removal spell 
Because the card advantage you don't super need. There's already a lot of that in Mono Green. But it, it exists. It's on the same card. So you might as well. Right. I also want to mention the Stone Brain, which we mentioned last episode. This is the one that uh, you name, a you know, exiles four copies of the card you name. It's a cranial. But what I didn't mention is that this actually also lets you take the Reckoner Bankbuster out of your sideboard. Uh, you don't need to play a source of colored mana in order to win the game with Pestilent Cauldron. If you go infinite, you can just use the Stone Brain as your win condition. So that is... Mill, though. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little... And it's just, you know, I'm going to keep looking through your library and exiling cards until you choose to, to scoop. So maybe we can wrap this one up. That is a, just a little bit of efficiency. Now you don't need to waste a slot on a win condition. Your cranial is your win condition. And... That's very good for these decks too. Yeah, this card can name basic lands, which is the right the the thing that's usually holding those cranial effects back. They don't let you take all your opponents' forests or whatever. No, you will exile their entire library with enough activations of this. Yeah, four cards at a time. Yep. So those are the main artifacts that I think are relevant for the card and board. I could easily have missed something. Like we could all have easily missed something and then it's a key part of the winning regionals deck list or something. But those are the ones that I'm thinking of that are like, yeah, obviously at least like two or three of these is going to be in every green sideboard. Yeah, there are also a ton of artifacts in this set. Right. So <laughs> would not surprise. Like half of the colors just have a section of their color dedicated to the artifacts of that color in them. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of artifacts in this set and Karn can get any of them. Preferably ones with colorless or green costs, but, you know. There's also a jumpstart one, one of the prototype ones, like prototypes for four mana for two GG and untaps a land and makes it a 3-3 when it comes in. We were kind of thinking about it because it can untap a Nykthos, but it's at a really weird mana breakpoint there where a lot of times you could wish for it or you could just wish for your God Pharaoh statue and that will still win you the game. So uh, I don't know if that card is relevant, but it is weird that a jumpstart card is one that you might want to put in your mono green sideboard. Are the jumpstart cards, of which there are five, yep. legal in contract formats their brother is legal in? According to the Fire Shoes thread about it, they are legal. So I believe that okay. they are. I mean, that is a gospel Twitter thread. So yes. I'm just going to treat that as true. The, the DMU jumpstart cards the five of them are standard legal so jumpstart is not you know anything but like legacy legal any jumpstart expansion but the specific set based jumpstarts so dominary united jumpstart and brothers war jumpstart there's like five new cards in each of those that are legal so you know that's not confusing at all yeah it's okay as long as they're reasonably easy to get because the cards themselves do not look that powerful. They're mostly niche, like kind of cool centerpiece cards. They're mostly overcosted, like Timmy-ish kind of cards. So generally not a big deal. Yeah, which is why Mono Green can consider playing one because mana, you know, right. barely a consideration. Well, and the idea is to use it as a giant ritual, but I don't, I, it, it didn't seem likely to be relevant often enough that you actually want it. So I don't think that's one, but could be proven wrong. Woodcaller Automaton is the card we're talking about. I finally found it. Nice. Yes, that is it. So th those are my picks for the mono green sideboard based on what I've seen so far. You are welcome to talk about whatever previews now. Oh, okay, cool. What do I want to start with? 
I want to start with affectionately called Blue Rebel Master. <laughs> this is Sky Strike Officer. Yes. Two and a blue for a 2-3 human soldier uh, relevant creature type. Flying whenever Sky Strike Officer attacks, create a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. And you can tap three untapped soldiers you control to draw a card. I like this card quite a bit. <laughs> I kind of do too. I... I don't think it'll end up be panning out like mm-hmm. blue creature cards like this typically kind of end up this way. But the stats on this are good. Three mana, two, three flying. It's pretty good. Generates a creature every time it attacks. And if for some reason there's a soldier deck, which I don't think is super likely because uh, it's basically just Dominaria United this set and then nothing because soldiers and the Phyrexia sets are scant, and then after that is Eldraine, which only has knights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they seeded a lot of soldiers in these two sets, though. It's possible that you just have a solid curve of good soldiers it out of these two sets. Uh, there's a lot of them, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. I, I think that if this card sees play, it's mostly going to be for its like value oriented attributes Mm -hmm. like you're you're pretty good attacker that also gives you board presence uh unlike the rabble master type style cards the creature it creates does not attack or have to attack Mm -hmm. like there's no incentive to attack with you you can just keep flying up in the air and making one one artifact tokens Mm -hmm. that block on the ground or do whatever you need them to do if you if you get enough of them you can start drawing cards but that does seem like a pipe dream if you're not building specifically around soldiers yeah yeah, and I mean, this card, you know, unlike a Ravel Master, doesn't do anything the turn it comes into play unless you've already got multiple other soldiers that you don't feel like attacking with. I don't know. Yeah, there is like a solid combination of just like it does deal some damage in the air. It makes bodies. It turns bodies in, or it like translates bodies into cards uh, where I could see it as long as the components all add together. It is in a weird color for soldiers, but they made blue-white the soldier's color this time around. I don't know if you can play some sort of, like, tempo-y, uh, you know, put some spell pierces or whatever in your deck and make this kind of your delvery threat or something. I don't know. It is very expensive yeah, I, to be a delvery threat, but it is a pretty standalone kind of threat. Right. I think standalone threats are have the most room to flourish mm-hmm. and we kind of see that with all like all the standard cards now right most of the decks are mid-range decks based around standalone threats that are just really good sure and i don't think this is quite on the level of you know fable of the mirror breaker uh wedding announcement any, anything like that but it is in a good color and standard and it does its thing without needing too much support it's pretty sick like with wedding announcement you just kind of like build this tokeny anthemy deck value deck potentially maybe honestly maybe the the blue white uh mid-range deck soldiers or not is just like you know plays the soldier land plays wedding announcement plays this card and sure. just has like a, a soldier sub theme yeah <laughs> i mean yeah if wedding announcement made soldiers then we would certainly have a, a stew going but probably better that it doesn't for all of our sakes yeah just makes you know classless vampires <laughs> vampires with no sorry, class very- at all very classy vampires <laughs> wait it makes doesn't wedding announcement make humans yeah wedding oh, yeah, announcement makes right. humans i'm confusing it with edgar ah, that's what i'm doing gotcha, gotcha so card i want to mention is gix yagmoth praetor this is one black black for a three three legendary phyrexian praetor 
Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, draw a card. Weird wording to, like, make it more multiplayer effective, but it it, it turns all of your creatures into Ophidians that cost you one life per trigger. Uh, and also has an expensive activate ability for black, black, black. Discard X cards. Exile the top X cards of target opponent's library. You may play lands and cast spells from among cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. The most relevant thing is that this is a three mana three three that makes all of your creatures into little ophidians that cost you a life and i think that's potentially really really powerful i like the text on this card and i i actually do like the multiplayerness of it because all the creators have always been like that they're mm -hmm. like really good at multiplayer uh but all of the one bb three threes remind me of that what is that card from the core set that was in guilds of ravnica standard it was uh so all all of these like one BB three three creatures remind me of Isareth, the Awakener, mm. which is like a three mana death touch creature that did something when it attacked and reanimated stuff, and people were really high on it, especially since Golgari was like a reasonable deck at the time. But it never saw any play. Or it, it did, and it was not good. Sure. And every single one BB three three since then has had the same type effect or style and it's just they're just not good they never see play it's just not okay color this, that does this this ability is very different though this is an ability. yeah it does something when it comes into play yeah it does something when it comes into play it doesn't cost you any mana to do it just asks that you're attacking with creatures and hitting them this is, is like your last spell that you cast after you put all of your cheap creatures on the table you know, if there's just no way to build a black aggressive deck, then sure, this card sucks. But if there is any way of building a deck that is playing one and two mana creatures and black is a heavy component of that, then I think this card's just very good. I I think you could be right, but it's so hard for me to imagine a black. I know. Like aggressively signed a deck because they're so hard to find without also being an engine card that makes Gix like irrelevant like the like the cat oven mayhem devil stuff yeah i mean if you're playing a sacrifice deck that just consists of enough cheap creatures too then you know this can just be a way of like all right i'll just attack with these one ones and draw two cards i will say this is a better payoff than obnixless mm -hmm. we thought obnixless was going to be a lot better than he ended up being we really Not did obnixless, think he'd be Ob. a lot better but what is the pinstripe the pinstripe obnixless called i don't i don't know ob ob the well-dressed <laughs> It's yeah, Ob the Well-Dressed. Ob Nixilis the uh, Adversary. Yeah, card never really panned out, but Gix could be a, like, while, while the cards are very different, a similar payoff-style card in the same type of deck, Gix is probably better. Sure. And, I mean, you hit that, that, that seven mana and have extra cards in hand, you can turn them into random cards from your opponent's library. I don't... That's quite an ability to put on, on top of this three mana three three but it's there yep it sure is <laughs> all right what do you want to talk about um i want to talk about hostile negotiations because mm -hmm. i've seen mixed results mixed reviews of this card yeah uh this is a three and a b instant so four mana total exile the top three cards of your library in a face down pile then exile the top three cards of your library in another face down pile <laughs> Look at the cards in each pile, then turn a pile of your choice face up. An opponent chooses one of those piles, 
and that pile goes into your hand, the other goes into your graveyard, and you lose three life. So you're giving your opponent, you exile the top six cards of your library in two piles. One of them gets turned face up, you get to choose. Then your opponent picks between a face down pile and a face up pile that you chose. And then you lose three life and draw the other pile. Or draw the pile they pick. Yes. It's like mind gamey. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a four mana draw three, but with some some cool stuff into it. Yes. But like the text isn't that different from draw three, put three cards into your graveyard. Like there's lose three life. Yes, lose three life. And honestly, I I like this card from like a game design perspective, mm-hmm. but in terms of play, I do not like it. it. I don't think black wants four mana. I'm going to draw three cards and lose three life. If this didn't lose you three life, I would be on board in certain decks. Right. But it does. But so. it's massively doubling down on like the weakness of inspiration effects. Four mana instant speed draws like powerful cards potentially. But the weakness of them is that they cost four mana. They don't affect the board. If you're getting attacked and you need to cast it, you're falling behind. And if you're getting attacked and you need to cast this and then you lose three life, you're not falling behind anymore. You're just dead to combat damage. And that's evaluating this as kind of like a four mana draw three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has this weird sub game to it, which you can game or not game depending on you know how, how you view game theory or whatever. But essentially the way I evaluate the card is if you look at both piles and you turn the weakest pile always face up and get that one. Like, how good is that? Because mm-hmm. when I played Epiphany at the Drown Yard, you almost never, ever got the face down pile because <laughs> it was always theoretically better. Yeah. If I can conceivably beat this pile that you're showing me, then I'm not going to give you a shot at something better. Yeah, this is like it's very powerful when you're not when you don't care about your life total and you're playing card advantage games like this is a horrifying card for somebody to cast against you if you're like playing some mid-range game where the board is kind of like stable it is really really powerful when that happens especially if you've got graveyard stuff going on but i agree i think given wider application given the number of games in a tournament where your life total is under pressure. And it's a card that's like, build your deck around me, be graveyardy, have the ability to cast like an end of turn instant speed card draw spell. So like run a lot of copies of me. And then that becomes a huge liability when you're playing against one and two mana creatures. Yeah. And I was really high on shadow prophecy in the last set. If you recall, Mm -hmm. that's the domain look at the top X where X is your domain. And then you put two of those in your hand, you lose two life. Mm-hmm. That card only costs three mana. <laughs> yeah. And that's significantly better breakpoint for this kind of effect. And that card has seen play in modern. Like I've seen people try to play it, especially the Ren Six and Soul of Windgrace. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not like there's not room for Black to have only, like just card draw spells, but this is too expensive and too costly. And I do not think it's playable. Yeah. I'm mostly there, but it is powerful when it works against the right opponent. So could be a thing, could be a sideboard card for certain types of matchups. Uh, I think it's really hard to like build around and rely on. Let's see. What do I want to talk about? How about Arcane Proxy? Seven for a four, three. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, exile target instant or sorcery card with mana value less than or equal to Arcane Power arcane proxy's power from your graveyard copy that card you may cast a copy without paying its mana cost and it has prototype of one uu 
to be a 2-1. So if you cast it for the 7, it can cast a spell that costs 4 or less from your graveyard. If you cast it for 3, it casts a spell that costs 2 or less from your graveyard. And it is a wizard. It is a wizard. A but you still can't cast Wizard's Lightning from your graveyard for the 3 mana cost, sadly. Unless you have a wizard lord in place. <laughs> this is getting very complicated. Yeah, you brought up wizard's lightning. Uh, I, what do you think about this card? I think that it's a card that I am excited to use to generate value in standard, mostly. But I have trouble seeing it have application beyond that. I think it's like generally like snapcaster mage doesn't see any play in modern and snapcaster mage is probably generally easier to use and make work in spots in pioneer like graveyards are under threat anyways and there's better ways to use graveyards but in standard i think sequences that are like cast a two mana removal spell on one of your guys and then cast this as a necrotal to kill your next guy and then i still have this two one left over and then later in the game my value necrotal play now is just this massive i mean four three is not the most massive but maybe it's casting like a bigger card drawing spell or something like that uh and having that kind of flexibility i think this could be a pretty reasonable standard value card i think people are overly excited for it in larger formats though yeah it, it this card does not have flash unlike snapcaster mage which does severely limit the spells you can cast with it because mm-hmm. a large part of snapcaster mage's playability historically has been all right play snapcaster mage counter your thing with one of the counter spells in my graveyard right you don't really want any counter spells in your deck if you're running arcane proxies in your deck right you just don't get value from them but i do i do agree with you that i think this is a good like one uu two one cast a cheap spell for your graveyard is a really good rate uh seven mana is more of the flooding out i don't know what to do with my mana <laughs> this is the card i drew for turn right kind of deal but that happens in standard like it happens frequently so and, and yeah. depending on how your deck is built if you have four mana spells in your deck and then you hit that point like this is a card that can potentially bail you out when you flood it out and hit seven lands yeah but mostly it's it's that that early game two for one potential that is very solid for standard and possibly pioneer but not in the decks that are currently seeing play yeah i i'm not excited about this in any pioneer decks i feel like we just do better things with treasure crews and and stuff like that uh using yeah and i think like specifically the spells decks have better options and the artifacts decks do not want to play spells so right this kind of is homeless in a sense but i think it is very cool for standard and i am excited to try you want some amount of proactive spells that are not removal spells because sometimes they don't have stuff that you want to kill and so you need to have consider or whatever so you can catch your this is a certainly a good buddy to consider yes with consider (laughs) for sure also don't try to flashback your memory deluge with this that doesn't end well so you know. Yeah, you will look at the top zero cards of your library. <laughs> put, as... put two of them in your hand. Yep. Everyone does it once where you like copy them. Oh, yeah. Delusion, you feel really smart and you're like, hell yeah, I'm going to look at the top seven, put two in my hand, and then I'm going to look at that again. And then you, there's second I, one resolves. You're I, like, wait a second. I definitely galvanic iterationed a memory deluge the first time I had six mana and the two of those cards in my hand and felt really stupid afterward. You go from really smart to really stupid very quickly, <laughs> and it's hard to recover from that. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about fauna shaman <laughs> legit i i think that's a fine thing to talk about this is a reprint uh from what, one of the zendikar sets i think it was in rise of the i don't remember i know that it was in standard with vengevine so 
Yeah. So this is one in green for... Oh, no, it was in like M10. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, it was a, a Corset card, yeah. So one G2-2, two, two, pay a green, tap, discard a creature card, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. The This card has some pedigree. Like, it was very, very good in standard. Uh, because Like Chris mentioned, the, the Vengevine interaction, you just like could discard Vengevines and look for whatever creature. It was also played in Stoneforge Mystic decks because that card was so strong. <laughs> just want just, more Stoneforge Mystics. Yeah, you could just tutor for more Stoneforge Mystics, even if you weren't playing Vengevine. But those decks often did because you're, once you're playing Fauna Shaman, you might as well. I don't think Fauna Shaman has like the same support around it, i.e. no Vengevines. <laughs> but also our busted standard cards are all enchantments right now. Yes, but it is... One of those cards, when it's legal, you're like, all right, if we ever need extra copies of some broken card, we've got Fauna Shaman. Yes. I would say and... resist any temptation you have to try this in Pioneer. Fatal Push and Stomp just mean that like playing two mana two twos is, uh, uh, is at your own risk. And I don't think that ends very well for you. No, nah, this is mostly worse than the 2-2 uh, the elf that makes an elf token even yeah just anything that does something that that two slot is you got to be really careful with it uh yeah i don't really know what you can do with this in standard i, I just like but i like i really fond of memories of fauna shaman i like fauna shaman too i would be unsurprised if this just like doesn't do anything this time around it's just hard to play a two mana two two and get it to stick and and do something with a activated ability that costs a mana but it is really cool and if you got any graveyard stuff going on this can really enable it and it's neat yeah i agree on all points i like i just like fun <laughs> i guess i'll mention clay champion this is a x x4 i don't even know how to say this mana cost it costs it co it, x plus four mana it's basically four with kicker x <laughs> yes it is yes it's a two two artifact creature construct Enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it for each GG spent to cast it. And when it enters the battlefield, choose up to two other target creatures you control. For each white white spent to cast Clay Champion, put a plus one plus one counter on each of them. This is mostly, I feel like, a card that just rubs in the fact that Walking Ballista isn't Pioneer legal. So we can't, you don't really get a payoff for playing your plus one plus one counter decks. But like every combination that you can do with this is like an enormous amount of power and toughness for the cost in a mono white deck this is a a 2-2 two two that puts two plus one plus one counters on two you know two or three or four different creatures it it, it you know spreads them around really good and if you have any sort of hardened scales effect or something like that it does even better for four green mana this is just an eight eight for green green white white this is a five five that also puts plus one plus one counters on two of your creatures it's just like a lot of stats uh so point of clarification here uh if you spend i don't know a trillion white mana on this card you can still only put the counters on two creatures you have to choose oh, two creatures. Oh, you're right, 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 right. And then it gets plus one, plus one counter for each okay. double white. So it's a little less flexible, but probably not that big of a deal for play. But yeah, so like at any of its four mana costs, it's like a lot of stats. And then you can also just pump excess mana into it if the game has gone that far and you get even more stats out of it. I don't really know a deck that uses this, but it's 
tempting just because of the amount that you're getting out of the mana cost. Yeah, I don't really see a deck that uses this. Right. Uh, it is a lot of power and toughness. And I don't I don't know what you would do with it. It's green and white are such awkward colors. <laughs> there seems to be so many green and white payoffs, just generally speaking, including like King Darien and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they just never do anything because green and white is not lacking in payoffs necessarily as much as it is like good proactive cards that do something just to interact with your opponent. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what this does, but it's just so big and <laughs> spreads like can spread that power and toughness around really nicely. And if you cast this for GG white, white with a hardened scales effective play, then your scales is contributing three plus one plus one counters on top of it. It's it's neat. I I find it odd that the, this is a cycle, a two card cycle. There's a green white one and then there's a Grixis one. Mm -hmm. The Grixis one is a snake or serpent. Yes. And this one's just like a dude. What's the... I was hoping for some sort of animal theme. Oh, a mongoose? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one. <laughs> yeah, we don't get these like duo cycles that often. The the opposing concepts. They should really go all out and just <laughs> give us the mongoose and cobra pair. Especially since the whole the whole deal is like Mishra is black red and Urza is blue white, and this these cycles did neither of them, so it could have been like anything. Sure. They could have done whatever they wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean that one, the Grixis one, X plus six for a five four serpent when it enters the battlefield for each blue blue spent to cast it draw a card for each black black spent to cast it each opponent discards a card for each red red spent to cast it gets plus one plus oh and gains trample and haste until end of turn i mean you don't have to be a grixis deck to play this card which is good because grixis decks rarely get there but also like it's a six mana card so i i'm just generally not looking to play this type of thing I'm gonna take this opportunity to talk about more green cards. Okay, go for it. Uh, I'm gonna read all of Titania. Oh man, like both both halves. Yeah, all three cards. Okay. So this is a meld, a meld tr tr duo, I guess. Uh, I'm gonna start with Titania, Voice of Gaia. Uh, this is a one GG three four legendary elemental with reach. Uh, whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four or many land cards in your graveyard and you both own and control Titania, Voice of Gaia, and a land named Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, exile them and melt them into the flip side. So 1GG, 3, 4 reach. When a land card is put into a graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. That's that's what this card does. Mm -hmm. uh, the land, though, is really good, in my opinion. This is a land uh, argoth sanctum of nature land it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary green creature uh, and it taps for green mana and you can pay 2gg tap it to create a 2-2 bear token then mill three cards uh, it's, it's kind of a weird when you see this card in isolation without seeing titania it's just like oh this card <laughs> kind of weird why does it mill? And yeah it makes a bear and mills cards bizarre <laughs> The backside is Titania, Gaia, Incarnate. A legendary Star Star Elemental Avatar. Vigilance, Reach, Trample, and Haste. And this comes into play at the beginning of your upkeep if you control both of them and have four more lands to your graveyard. 
Power times equal to each number of lands you control. When Titania enters the battlefield, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So it's huge. Or at least a 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an activated ability 3G. Put four plus almost one counters on target land you control. It becomes a 0-0 zero, zero elemental creature with haste. It's still a land. Yep, yep. That's, that's a big dude. Unfortunately, the I, the Titania side of this, uh, pretty both weak. sides, I guess, are pretty mediocre. Like three mana, three, four. That doesn't do anything unless you're milling lands, I guess, or sacrificing them for effects, mm -hmm. which you only gain two life. <laughs> That's all she does. She's not that great. The land, though, Argoth, I like Argoth a lot. Really? Uh, it's a it's a come to play tapped green land unless you control a legendary green creature, of which there aren't I've been, really very there many. aren't very many in standard. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. I've, I'm a big on joda in general <laughs> and legendary matters stuff i've always got my eye on it sure and the ability for this land to just generate two twos is nice and synergize with any graveyard effects you may want to put together i i'm not discounting this land because this is a powerful activated ability on not a free land necessarily because it does come into play tapped but it, I I don't know. I just think you can do something with it. Yeah, I do think the cost of putting this land in your deck is higher than a lot of people are giving it credit for because it's a green land that comes into play tapped. So yeah, I don't think it's free. Like Castle Ardenvale is, in my opinion, a weak card, and mm -hmm. it's coming to play untapped white land mm -hmm. that only makes it one one. Yeah, but that's a specific land that you generally use in control decks to punish your opponent for playing around your counter spells or to win very very long games like it's you know i i think that's a fundamentally different card from this one. Oh yeah yeah i'm saying like the castle and veil is a freer card like the cost is so low yeah to put it into your deck and it doesn't see very much play right uh the cost to this deck is much higher gotcha much higher. gotcha it's gotcha very frequently just to come play tapped land but I think the effect of the the mill three make a two two is much stronger and worth considering if you have a lot of different stuff going on. You could like have graveyard effects. You could do anything that tutors non basic lands into play could have this as an option because there's often come to play tapped anyway. Sure, just stuff like that where you're not straight up playing a time to play tapped Greenland and trying to get value of it in a normal game a lot of the time because yeah. I don't think that's how the the games are gonna play out most of the time i can see that i'm i'm more into it when you do have graveyard stuff going on because like making the 2-2 is okay but that's very expensive and we don't really run out of cards that often anymore these days uh if you are also like drawing a part a portion of a card each time because you have graveyard relevant stuff then i'm i'm more into it i i agree it is tough to put titania in your deck just a three mana three four reach compared to the other things that people are paying three mana for, like if your opponent's playing Fable or Wedding Announcement or something and your plan was to play this 3-4 reach on your turn, then that's not going to go super well for you most of the time. The reach so kind of helps, but not that much. For whatever reason, Argoth is not legendary. So you can put as many of that land as you want in your deck for whatever reason. And if you're milling, you only have to put one Titania in your deck and just like some unearth effects. Yeah, true. <laughs> you can have access to it, which is cute. But I don't, I don't honestly even know if a big Titania is worth like what you're putting into it. Yeah, I it's mean, it's just a huge creature with trampling haste. The obnoxious thing is that 
you have to untap with the titania to meld it and they're going to yes. know if you're going to be able to and so they're going to do everything they can to stop that from happening and it, it's just like pretty telegraphed although at least the argoth is kind of uninteractable with so well there is the new um field of ruin yes just like the old field of ruin except that it works in edh which i think is yeah. a valid templating choice to make it also doesn't force a search so you can't like archive trap your opponent yes if they don't want to so really strictly worse and constructed yeah but i mean it's pretty it's got good art yes and it's it's good to make it <laughs> make a field of oh, room that works in edh where the other one speaking just of reprints people. blast zone is a, a super cool reprint for standard I, I like that card a lot oh definitely uh, we we already know its impact in all the other formats so we don't really need to spend a lot of time talking about it but i really enjoy the blast zone as reprinted yeah i and i love some amount of colorless utility lands like that that can reward you for not being greedy with your mana base and you, then you can like get a little greedy with it yeah, I, I really liked Karn's Bastion, even from the same set, which mm. was just like four mana proliferate, never saw any play. But you could like play around with it if you wanted to. I just like colorless lands that you can make your deck worse with. And Blast Zone is not that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Razorlash Transmigrant for a minute. This is... Transmogrant. Trans Transmogrant. <laughs> this is two for an artifact creature zombie. It's a 3-1, and it has four black-black... Return Razorlash razor Transmogrant from your graveyard to the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. This ability costs four less to activate if an opponent controls four more non-basic lands. Like, I think this card is probably playable and okay, but I feel like people have been giving it a lot of credit where it's like Skyclave Shade, which was fine. But like the problem with Skyclave Shade was never like, oh man, I'm not sure on the land, so let me get this back. The problem with Skyclave Shade is it's a two-drop that can't block, and sometimes that means that it's a two-drop with no text. And this card has the exact same problem as that. Maybe it's easier to get back. Maybe it's harder to get back, depending on the format. But the thing with Skyclave Shade wasn't like, man, I'm not getting this back nearly enough. It's like, oh, this just doesn't do anything because my opponent played a one-drop. And I think this is just kind of the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's... A little cooler because it does cost mana to activate instead of like a land drop in mana. Mm -hmm. So you can do it at instant speed, which right. cuts out a lot of the awkwardness of Skyclave Shade. Yeah. But I, I agree for the most part. I do think it may find a home in, you know, Loriwa's zombie deck because this card is a zombie. That's really nice. Yeah. I think the relevant creature type is actually kind of huge. And I, I'm sure this will see some play. But I, I've heard people just like like this is the second coming and i think it's just like kind of a similar thing to what we've done before maybe a slightly better version i i think it's drawing a lot of unfair comparisons with scrap heap scrounger which was mm. an incredible card in its day uh that was also an artifact two one with three power that couldn't block the comeback from the graveyard but it, a lot of that was dealt in like kaladesh stuff where yeah. Scrappy Scrounge was a really good crewer. It just, it just drove everything. Every, right. It drove everything. It turned on your unlicensed disintegrations. It just like tied the whole room together in a way that this this card doesn't really. And if this transmogrant like has his driver's license and finds vehicles to drive in standard, sure. it could very well live up to the hype, but there's just not that in standard right now. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since the Seagus Chariot rotated out, we've been activating crew abilities a lot less. Right. Um, I want to talk about Dra Phyrexian Dragon Engine. 
Sure. I don't want to talk about Mishra. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I, I was hoping that we would just do this. I don't have the energy for all of the text on the, the big meld card. Yeah, so this is a meld card, but I'm not interested in the, the other two. So this is just Phyrexian Dragon Edge. Three mana, two, two artifact creature, Phyrexian Dragon. Double strike. When Phyrexian Dragon enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand if you do draw three cards. Unearth three red red. One of the weird things about this card is that it doesn't work if you cast it from your graveyard. It has to enter the battlefield from your graveyard. <laughs> and when you cast something, it goes in the stack first. So right. you can't like Emery this and then wheel. Sure. But you, you can use the unearth ability to obviously. Yeah. Or you and it also cast the with... spell unearth on it. You can do what? You could cast oh, the yeah, spell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cast the spell unearth right. cycling to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Goblin Engineer. Like, both of those are really oh, that's sick. efficient <laughs> ways of doing that. I love Goblin, goblin Engineer for this. Goblin is a super cool one. Yeah, because yeah. even if they deal with the Goblin Engineer, then you do still have a graveyard active card in your graveyard for later in the game. That's kind of sick. Yeah, you can just slam it straight into your graveyard after tutoring with Goblin Engineer and then just kind of go to town, mm -hmm. depending. Uh, it's just a really cool little engine card, no pun intended. It really kind of turns Goblin Engineer into a Stoneforge Mystic type threat where it's like yeah if you kill this then i like have a card that i need to like figure out a way to leverage later if you don't kill this then i might be doing terrifying stuff to you like right now and it works with if you're doing graveyard stuff too along with the engineer uh because you know you often don't want to discard your hand off like on a turn three yeah engineer. of course of course but if you do have some graveyard active cards you can start you know discarding and having more of your hand be tied up into graveyard power and do that while drawing cards off Dragon Engine. Sure. And because you're not unearthing it, because you're using it with Goblin Engineer, you don't have to, like, it doesn't get exiled. You can keep doing it if once you've run out of cards. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, like, kind of into this card anyways, but I am in love with it with Goblin Engineer. So, like, that's, that's pretty cool. I think it's also just... I mean, three mana, two, two double strike artifact creature is hard to, you know, you need to be doing equipment or pump spells or something like that to turn the front side of this into a card in like a standard deck that's playing a little more straight up. But, you know, that unearth just to reload at some point in the game is like pretty powerful. Cast it from the graveyard or unearth it from the graveyard, discard your hand, draw three. It's just resources sitting there waiting to be taken once you're once you're ready for it yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with this one in modern specifically because of engineer uh the other formats i think are a lot harder if you can't yeah. do engineer stuff but engineer i'm looking forward to <laughs> engineer is legal and historic you know it's something that you could possibly explore there if this doesn't if, if you enjoy historic and this is not quite at the power level that modern requires i know you didn't want to talk about it but I don't want to talk about melding it, but Misha Claim by oh, Gix no. is actually, it's it's a Hell Rider. Like that's like kind of good. That's that's what I brought up in the first episode. And you said I was crazy. I, you said I was insane. Did I say that? I feel like I no, didn't, you didn't use say those that. words. I feel like I was you just more skeptical than maybe I am now. Two black red. Whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life, or X is the number of attacking creatures. And then if it and the dragon engine are both attacking, then you 
meld them. Uh, it's a three into five. this gigantic game ending creature. We're not going to read. It has a thousand yeah. lines of text. They, they you are can dead. Buy it if, at an online bookstore. You know, if you do this, they are dead. An instant speed removal spell does break it up because it's an intervening if clause. But this is a four mana three five that does a Hellrider thing. Maybe like it doesn't have haste like Hellrider, but it does drain the life instead. So if you probably in a deck with like Gix, Yogmoth, Praetor, and then just a bunch of cheap creatures. If that deck exists, then I'm like kind of into Mishra in a black red build of that deck. And it, it could be pretty decent. If you can fit the Dragon Engine into your deck and sort of like luck into melding it every once in a while, then that's impressive and powerful. But mostly it's just like, do you need a Hellrider? Okay, here's an option. Yeah, I like I like both of them. Yeah. I live for the dream of melding them together, but I, I consider myself unlikely to do it. And text, the text on Misha includes the words choose three. That's, that's pretty wild. Yeah, the, the big, the big double Misha, the melded Misha. Choose three of like my of, six. Of modes. six. <laughs> you win. You win the game when you do it. That's all. I think that's kind of all I wanted to talk about as far as stuff i know there's other cards on here but none of them jump out to me yeah there's other like possibilities but there's nothing like super important i think i don't think we're gonna do our full set review for the next episode i think next episode i just want to give like final breakdown thoughts on pioneer talk about what i'm playing talk about other options for the tournament and uh, like takes on builds for them going into the regional championship. I think that's the most relevant thing and what I've really been working on and want to share that. Uh, but then the week after that, I think we will go ahead and do our full set review. So that's my plan for the next couple of episodes. Yeah, that sounds good. I definitely want to hear what you have to say going into the, the regional championships like next weekend. Yes. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to play in this and sort of see what it's like. I have no idea what a DreamHack Magic Tournament is going to be. I know they've had their, you know, non-pro play, like, just tournaments at DreamHacks, but I haven't been to any of those. So we'll we'll see what this is like, and I'm looking forward to the beginning of this era of competitive play, and uh, I'm just going to hold that hope. I'm going to be optimistic. Good. Have they announced uh, the second regional championship yeah i mean we know that it is in anaheim yes i i know that we know that but has it actually been announced yet <laughs> i don't know that okay <laughs> i'm not in the dreamhack discord i probably should be but i i am not i have a really hard time joining public discords Same. because you get to the lowest commentator, common denominator like very quickly. Yes, I mean, especially you, with gaming discords, it's it's going to be really tough. You have to immediately mute, but it's also just like, then why am I here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I don't really have anything else to go over then. We will see y'all next week for the uh, just overall pioneer breakdown and what what I think is good and what I think is not good going into regionals. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Bye.